welcome to another episode of the Corrosion Journal interview series. My name is Sammy Miles, and I'm the Managing Editor-in-Chief of Corrosion Journal, AMP's peer-reviewed scientific journal. Today, we welcome Nurazi Shridhar as our guest. Shridhar is a member of Corrosion's editorial board and is the CEO of MC Consult and a research professor at The Ohio State University. Thanks for joining me today, Shridhar. Thank you for inviting me. So you've had a 40 plus year career in different areas of corrosion risk management, sustainable design, energy storage devices, and corrosion, corrosion modeling, just to name a few of the many things you've worked on over the years. So um, to start us off, tell me a bit about yourself. How did you first get into corrosion? Uh, well, when I was in high school, I mainly loved physics and uh, I did, my, my parents were uh, good enough to ha let me have a lab in the house. And uh, I did a lot of physics experiments at home. One of them was electrochemistry. But uh, corrosion was the very last thing I thought I would do in, in my life. I went to undergraduate school in uh, engineering, uh, Indian Institute of Technology in Madras. Now it's called Chennai. Uh, in those days, it was a five-year program. And in the fifth year, uh, I did a project mostly on physical metallurgy because that was close to physics that I wanted to do. And um, at the end of the project, which was really focused on uh, looking at using X-ray diffraction to study structure of metals, um, I decided to come to the US. Mainly I was getting tired of my hometown. I wanted to explore the wider world. So uh, I ended up in uh, Virginia Tech uh, in 1975. Uh, working for a professor, Chuck Hauska, who was also doing X-ray diffraction work. So it was close to what I had done at undergraduate. So this was, seemed like a natural step for me. But then along came another professor, Mac Lauthan. He just started at Virginia Tech. Uh, he was actually a senior guy at Savannah River Labs. And uh, Mac was a wonderful speaker. And uh, he convinced me that I should be working in hydrogen embrittlement instead of X-ray diffraction. So I ended up working in hydrogen embrittlement for Mac, building high-pressure hydrogen systems. And then two years later, uh, Mac came to me and said, well, you know, uh, uh, you should really think of going to University of Notre Dame, uh, mainly because he got his PhD at Notre Dame. And he said, uh, you know, and Notre Dame is a better football team than Virginia Tech. And in those days, that was true, not anymore. But uh, <laughs> so I ended up going to Notre Dame. Uh, at the time, I looked up the faculty members at Notre Dame and Nick Fiore, who I was going to work for, had done a lot of interesting work on looking at defects in metals in uh, Carnegie Mellon. So I read his papers and I thought, well, I'm going to uh, go to Nick and say that I really wanted to work on how to look at defects in metals. And I was getting a little tired of hydrogen embrittlement anyway. So I went to Notre Dame and uh, saw Nick and I talked to him about defects in metals. And Nick said, well, I don't have any money for that, but I have money on hydrogen embrittlement. Would you want to work on it? And um, so I ended up working on hydrogen embrittlement for Nick for four years. And uh, this was on nickel-based alloys. So at the end of my PhD, um, uh, there was a company called Cabot Corporation, which eventually became Haynes International. Uh, they had an interest in somebody knowledgeable about nickel-based alloys and hydrogen embrittlement. And they were in Indiana, where Notre Dame was. So they came and uh, interviewed me and uh, were good enough to offer me a job. And I had a couple other offers, but I decided to take that offer from Cabot, which was actually a godsend for me because uh, I first, that's the first time I moved into a corrosion group. I had not 
uh, had much exposure to corrosion. Uh, Herb Ulick from MIT used to come to Notre Dame and offer a summer course in corrosion, but I never took it. Um, so I had very little exposure to corrosion, but uh, Haynes had a very powerful corrosion group in those days. Uh, there was Aziz Aswahani, who was the head of the lab, uh, Yuri Coles and Paul Manning, and a number of other people. So I had quite a few mentors. And uh, they basically said, well, you know, um, we, uh, we are developing corrosion alloys, uh, nickel-based alloys and stainless steels, and uh, there's an opportunity for you to uh, develop some new alloys. And uh, so uh, that was a, fa a fabulous experience. And um, I worked on some duplex stainless steels and nickel-based alloys and, um, you know, did a lot of technical assistance and client assistance as well. Uh, but after about nine years, I was uh, feeling that I needed to broaden my horizon. I was sort of wedded to corrosion by that time. And, uh, but I was looking for some place where it was more than nickel-based alloys and stainless steels. And fortunately, I had invited, at that time, I was also pretty active in NACE, and I was a chair for this committee. In those days, we went by different committee name numbers than now, but it was a T5A committee on, for chemical process industries. And uh, I was a chair for a T5A 17, which was a task group for duplex stainless steels. And uh, Mike Stryker was the chair, and I was the vice chair. And then when he decided to moved, uh, move off, I became chair. But I had invited Mike to come to Haynes to give a talk one, one day and um, driving him back to the airport, he said, you know, there was these uh, guys in San Antonio in Southwest Research Institute, they are looking for a corrosion engineer and um, you would be working on things different than nickel-based alloys and stainless steel development. This will be on nuclear waste and how to predict, uh, do life prediction of these uh, containers. So I was pretty interested. And uh, so uh, Mike turned out he was in the uh, advisory committee for this uh, unit. And so he perhaps recommended me. Um, so I got a job at, in San Antonio and uh, that was another really wonderful opportunity for me because first of all, I had developed a new mentor in uh, Southwest Research, a guy by the name uh, Gustavo Cranolino. Uh, he introduced me to a whole new world of corrosion, um, guys like Digby McDonald and Roger Staley and so on. And uh, also, I had a good opportunity to interact with people outside the corrosion field because nuclear waste involves uh, geochemistry and geology, volcanology, hydrology, all those ologies. And um, so... I had a great uh, experience working with a much broader range of people than I had experienced before. So that was a great experience. Uh, around about 2000, we ran out of money. And uh, so I had to develop uh, new funding sources for my group. And I started working on uh, pipeline and oil and gas problems um, and uh, moved to another division within Southwest Research. And at the time, we had also a major program for U.S. Marine Corps on the corrosion prevention and control, and all working on sensors and Raman spectroscopy and things like that. I had a pretty interesting project in NASA, with NASA on Mars, life on Mars. So I was doing some pretty interesting stuff. And then in about 20, uh, 2007, there was an opportunity at DNV in uh, Columbus. Uh, to head up their materials program and their strategic research and innovation. 
And uh, along with that opportunity came a uh, possibility to interact with uh, Ohio State Fontana Corrosion Center with Jerry Frankel. So I just couldn't pass that up. I had had some previous interactions with Ohio State when I was at Haynes. So it was a great opportunity to reconnect, be with a very big group of corrosion uh, folks in uh, both DNV and also uh, at uh, Ohio State. So that was a fantastic opportunity for me to learn other things. Uh, also, I was looking for international experience and DNV was a very Norwegian company in those days. And uh, so that was another experience is, uh, working with groups in Norway and uh, Europe. So, and then about 2020, I decided to not work in a corporate structure and have my own uh, consulting company. Uh, so I started MC Consult. Uh, I still work as a part-time research faculty at Ohio State Fontana Corrosion Center. So that's in short, uh, my career in corrosion. Fantastic. So you've worked in a whole bunch of different areas over the years then. Which has been your favorite? What was your favorite? I know you said hydrogen embrittlement, you kind of got tired of at a different point. Has any stood out to you as like the favorite to work on? Or just each yeah. moment? Uh, I, you know, uh, I mean, I loved all the projects I worked on. So it's really difficult to say this is my favorite. But two projects uh, were really fun, and they were, neither of them were corrosion-oriented. The first one uh, was a project I did for NASA, uh, looking at how to uh, detect uh, past life on Mars. So we were doing a lot of work in corrosion, uh, looking at Raman spectroscopy, which is a spectroscopy where you shine a laser light on a, a surface and uh, the vibration of molecules on the surface affects how the laser uh, the scatters from the surface and you detect the scattered light and you can tell something about the molecules on the surface. So we had been doing some corrosion work and uh, Daryl Dunn uh, at the time in my group was very instrumental and one of my fortunate uh, hire was uh, Daryl, uh, came out of University of Arizona and extraordinary experimentalist. So he was doing some really nifty stuff. And then I saw an opportunity where uh, I thought, well, you know, we could use the spectroscopy uh, as a tool when they send a robot to Mars. Uh, you know, Mars had past life possibly, no, we don't know for sure, but it had all died because of ultraviolet uh, radiation hitting Mars. Uh, but I thought maybe there could be some remnant molecules of this organic species present uh, along with mixture of sand and so on. So I told Daryl and some other folks at uh, Southwest Research that, hey, you know, we should write a proposal to NASA that we can do this Raman spectroscopy and put it on a rover and do this. And they all thought I was totally out of my mind. Uh, but uh, NASA decided that this was sort of a little bit off the left from the left field. So they decided to award us a big research project. And that was one of my fun projects because uh, we developed a technique we can tell extremely small uh, concentrations of organic molecules present with mixtures of sand. Uh, one of the fellows at Southwest Research built this Martian chamber, we call it, which simulated the Martian atmosphere. So we were pretty successful um, and NASA, in fact, was interested uh, to go to the next phase of building a probe to test it on a rover. Uh, but by that time, I'd left Southwest Research uh, for DNB, so 
I don't know whatever happened to it. They didn't fund it to the rover because our current rover doesn't have Raman. It has other, other testing systems that's uh, still on Mars. So to me, that was, uh, you know, sort of, I would never think of doing this, but, uh, you know, I, uh, sometimes you have to have the courage, uh, you know, to do something different. Then at the end of my stay at Southwest Research, I thought, well, I knew about electrochemistry and uh, corrosion is always sort of a negative thing in the sense that you are trying to prevent something bad happening. How can you use electrochemistry to do something good? And I thought, well, you know, we can convert CO2 to end-use chemicals that are valuable. And you can use electrochemistry to reduce CO2, supply electrons to CO2, and it converts into other chemicals. So DNV uh, um, was somewhat reluctant, but uh, since I was uh, heading up the research and innovation program, I had some internal money. So we had a very nice group, uh, had three guys eventually working on it. Um, uh, that did some really interesting catalyst development to convert CO2 to formic acid. And I also had some collaboration with Jerry Frankel at Ohio State to do some research on how catalysts uh, work. So to me, that was a really fun project because we developed this reactor. We put it in a trailer uh, that had a solar panel. So we could use renewable electricity to supply electrons to CO2. Um, one of the guys in my group, Davian Hill, located this truck that was actually used as a party vehicle. Uh, if you want to have a party in a remote area, in a barn somewhere, and you don't have electricity, you can take this truck. It has solar panel. You can hook up you know, music and whatever else you want to hook up to. And uh, so he said, okay, we can convert this, put an electrochemical reactor in this. So we <laughs> you know, traipsed it around to different conventions. That was a lot. So, you asked me about those, those two projects were really fun and sort of I look forward to the next, the, you know, the tomorrow for that, those projects. Right. But the, the great thing about those is it shows that with whatever skill set you develop over your career, there are different things you can do that are so outside of the box, right? You're not pigeonholed into only doing certain projects if you're willing to go out on a limb and have, exactly. have some fun, if you will, or. Yeah, I think, I think overcome fantastic. a lot of people saying, you can't do that. I mean, there are some things you cannot truly do. You cannot defy nature. But I think if it is possible and you have imagination, mm -hmm. you can do Then things. why not? Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, oh, with this, how has the industry changed over the course of your career? Have there been some of the areas where either the research funding has changed or the way um, the techniques are applied are different or? Uh, so I, I look back to my first joining NACE. I joined NACE uh, in 1981. I may have been a student member before that, but I don't remember. Um, but 1981, uh, when I first joined NACE, uh, I counted probably about 25 major industrial research lab involved in corrosion. That means labs that had more than a couple of PhDs and the lab of technicians. There were almost 25 major industrial labs involved in corrosion. And then of course there are national labs and universities also doing research. And to me, NACE uh, at the time um, was in that way different because there was a lot more research being presented and a lot more opportunities 
to do research and a lot more interactions in the committees on research activities. Uh, if I look at today, uh, they may be only a, less than a handful of major industrial research labs. There are still university labs. There are still some national labs that are doing research. And there may be research, a good bit of research being done overseas beyond uh, US and Europe, US, Canada and Europe. Uh, but um, that has altered, I think, the dynamics. Um, Funding-wise, there is less um, research funding at a national level in corrosion. Uh, it's not a sexy field. Uh, there have been some exceptions. I think uh, Jerry Frankel had this uh, Energy Frontiers Research Center uh, over the last two years that focused on corrosion. Uh, and I think there was some really good research done. Uh, but otherwise, a lot of the research funding is sort of, um, uh, you have to develop, you have to work hard at getting research. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, uh, but I think the opportunities uh, have not, you know, there are not that many big opportunities um, anymore in the corrosion field. So that's been a challenge. But at the, at the same time, the corrosion problems haven't gone away. Um, you know, uh, if, you, if you look at, uh, you know, NACE did the cost of corrosion uh, study. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, if you look at uh, American Society of Civil Engineers, uh, they put out a score sheet of the nation's infrastructure and they give the US infrastructure a C plus rating, if I remember right, uh, or maybe even a C rating, uh, which means we are failing badly. And um, so I think there are, there is need for research. And uh, I think part of our uh, job is to really keep that in front and center to people who are making funding decisions. Right, and keep advocating for it and highlight the need. Yeah, right. One thing that I wanted to ask you is, do you have any advice for those early in their career? Yeah, I think mainly uh, I would say uh, three things. One is, um, uh, be open to possibilities. Don't rule out possibilities. Uh, second thing is go and find a mentor or more than one mentor. I think if I look back at my career, um, I had some really wonderful mentors. Some of them I didn't realize were my, my mentors till afterwards. Um, but uh, early on uh, at Notre Dame, I had Jim Donovan who came from Southwest, uh, from Seven River National Labs. Um, who inspired me about uh, corrosion and metallurgy quite a bit through our conversations. Um, at Haynes uh, or Cabot Corporation those days, I had several mentors. Um, and then at Southwest Research, as well as at DNV, I had mentors. And some of my mentors were actually my own staff. So mentor doesn't mean that somebody much older than you that's giving you wise advice. They could be somebody who can really influence the way you think. So I think uh, what I've, uh, my success has been related to those mentors. And then the last thing is collaborators. Uh, for me, I think a lot of the work I've done is um, through both uh, fortuitous and planned collaborations. Uh, you know, I mentioned this NASA project on Raman spectroscopy. That was through purely fortuitous means because I was sitting in a cafeteria having lunch and, uh, a big tall Texan, uh, Ralph Hill, uh, sat next to me. Yeah, he had a thick Texas accent. 
And uh, he was curious about who I am and what I'm doing. And I explained to him, I'm a corrosion engineer. And I asked him what Ralph was doing. It turned out his daughter and my daughter were in the same uh, dance class, which we didn't know about that. But um, well, he said uh, he's doing laser uh, Raman spectroscopy and I didn't know anything about it. So I asked him and through a series of conversation, um, uh, you know, I got really interested in using it for corrosion studies. So that was a purely fortuitous circumstance just sitting in the cafeteria and having lunch. And so I've sort of tried to foster that, uh, this sort of fortuitous meeting of people. And uh, well, too bad we don't have that now with the COVID, but hopefully when we get back in conferences, that could be a, that would be a really important thing. The in-person networking and talking and just meeting people right. and hearing and new ideas. Exactly, exactly. NACE used to have a lot of hospitality suites in my early days of coming to NACE. We had a big, huge board with all the hospitality suites and, of course, uh, the free lunch and dinner, too. And, uh, uh, but that also fostered a lot of, uh, you know, just purely coincidental meetings of people. Right, right. And I think, I think some of those relationships are how you not only find what's your next project, but... Um, future jobs, future careers, even if you're changing yeah. what you're working on. No, I think there's, that's absolutely yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. And committee activities um, is something I, uh, you know, when I was a younger um, engineer coming into NACE first, um, I, my boss, uh, Paul Manning at the time um, said, uh, well, you know, the first thing you should do is uh, just go and find out what committees you can belong to. And here are some list of committees that are relevant to our company. And uh, chemical process industry in those days was very big uh, in NACE. And um, so, and we, they were our, one of our big client base. So uh, I decided to uh, become member of a couple of the committees and got into a task groups. And through that, I met a lot of people as well. And uh, that was really important for me, for my career. So I think another advice would be, you know, committee membership, you know, is really important for a younger person coming into, uh, in the field. That's good advice. Before we're, we're nearing the end of our time. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, no, I think we talked about a lot of things. Um, I think the last thing I wanted to say is something about risk management. Uh, because that's uh, something that I've been doing quite a bit of work on in the last few years. And I feel that uh, uh, we do a lot of uh, development of different technologies in the corrosion world. We develop new alloys, we have new ways of monitoring corrosion, uh, and so on. But ultimately, our job is to uh, safeguard uh, society from um, you know, failures due to corrosion. And so we need, and there are a lot of uncertainties associated with how you safeguard uh, society because a lot of information is either scattered or not available. And so that lends itself to assessing the risk of different engineered uh, systems um, and how they interface with workers as well as with the general community. Um, you, you can do qualitative risk assessment, but um, really that's not as useful as uh, providing 
real numbers to people on how does uh, something affect them. And um, uh, so that's something I focused a lot on. And uh, I think that is really important also in bringing together the corrosion community because not one person has all the knowledge that is required to do risk assessment. So you need to put a team of people together with uh, diverse perspectives. And it doesn't have to be just corrosion. It could be perspectives about management, about financial aspects or, you know, and so on and so forth. So I, that's an area that I, I like to see more emphasis uh, in the community. And it's going to continue to be increasingly important as we move forward from everything, as you mentioned earlier, the aging infrastructure and everything else. There's going to be challenges that present themselves along the way. So risk management will just be more and more important. Correct. And you by. mentioned aging infrastructure. You know, we have a lot of systems that have been developed, you know, back in the 80s that still need to be operated. You know, I work on underground nuclear waste storage. Those tanks were built in 1940s through 70s, and they are required to be intact for the next 40 years, some years. So mm -hmm. I think we, we future generations uh, will have to also deal with those risks. Excellent. One quick question. I'm going to borrow a feature from the Codings Pro interview series before we wrap up. Um, Codings Pro is one of our sister publications at AMP. And they've been adding a series of rapid fire questions at the end to provide listeners with the opportunity to get to know our guests a little better. And you've already kind of touched on this, but who are some of your mentors over your career? Oh, I've had a lot of mentors, not just one, as I mentioned before. Um, certainly uh, early stage of my career, um, Yuri Colts and Paul Manning, um, at Haynes were uh, my mentors in the sense that they introduced me to corrosion and alloy development. Uh, when I went to Southwest Research, uh, the late uh, Gustavo Cranellino uh, uh, was uh, a true mentor because uh, he was very selfless and introduced me to a lot of his um, knowledge base. Um, and at DNV, I've had a number of mentors uh, over the years, um, uh, you know, two too, too many to, to name. Um, and uh, some of my mentors were non-corrosion and non-metallurgists, actually. They taught me, um, you know, how to think about, you know, problems and going beyond what I do. Um, so, uh, you know, let me leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, if, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to reach you? Well, they can certainly go to the website of my consulting company, uh, uh, mcconsultco.com, and uh, you know they can find my email there and uh, certainly contact me with, uh, by email. Perfect. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for joining me today. And with that, I'm Sammy Miles. I'm here with Narazi Sridhar, and thanks for listening to another episode of Corrosion Journal's interview series. If you want to learn more about the journal, please make sure to visit corrosionjournal.org. You can subscribe to AMP Podcasts if you haven't already on Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the major distributors. And you can find all episodes of AMP Podcasts on amp.org. That is A-M-P-P dot O-R-G. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.